Welcome to Ported, a podcast about video games old and new and the people who play them. I'm Scott Taylor. And I'm Kyle Starr. Welcome, everybody. What's new with you, Scott? What are you playing? Right now, I'm playing The Division. I downloaded it, preloaded it, and except for launch night where none of the servers were up for anybody to play, things have been pretty smooth for me. I figured that would be the case that you'd be playing that. I'm not. It doesn't seem like my kind of game, but I don't really know what kind of game it is. So talk me through it. Well, I mean, what what has your experience been so far with like the were you there on, you know, launch night when it went out and No, I've been that? burned on launch nights before. I've stayed up until midnight, I've gotten the disc, I've installed, I've tried playing, servers have been down. So anymore just like with midnight releases of movies, I tend to skip them and go in the day after, which ended up working in my favor. So I really haven't had any server issues except for last night when in the middle of a mission it kicked me out because they were going to be doing some maintenance, but Besides that, it's been pretty smooth sailing. Uh, it is equivalent, I would say, to a lot of different games. It blends a lot of different games. Grand Theft Auto, in terms of its open world, uh, it makes me think heavily of Assassin's Creed, but it is Ubisoft, so that makes sense. It looks like they borrowed a lot of those kinds of mechanics from uh, Assassin's Creed. And, like like and scaling buildings and stuff? or Not necessarily scaling buildings. In terms of the open world, if you were to put you know this next to assassin's creed in terms of gameplay in terms of the mechanics in terms of the movement it looks very similar so it's an open world i would say almost more uh, assassin's creed than i would equate it to grand theft auto um but an open world game uh it's not necessarily a linear campaign there's branching so it definitely has got some rpg aspects to it which is the reason i picked it up i love rpgs and i don't feel like i've had a good one to play in a long time now so I picked it up mostly for that, and I do like the RPG elements of it. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You don't necessarily level based on experience points. You kind of level based off of how many different areas you've unlocked in your base of operations. So it's got some unique things to it. They definitely are trying to position themselves as the replacement for Destiny. Mm. And for people like me who haven't played Destiny in four months because there's been no reason for me to, this is a great, I think, a great pickup. So I'm all about it. And in terms of day one, you know, buy, we talked about, do we wait? Do you buy immediately? Um, There are great options out there for you right now to even on day one, get some good discounts on the game, which is pretty incredible. So I would say it's, it's definitely a good pickup. It's, it's been worth it so far. Um, But you say like a destiny um, replacement. I, I played the trial of destiny and I wasn't terribly into it. I didn't think I'd be into it. And I, I really wasn't. Yeah. Um, Shooters aren't really my thing. I mean, it was kind of fun, but I don't know. There was too much of the MMO stuff that I hate and too much of the shooter stuff that I hate. And so yeah. it, it really wasn't the game for me. Is the division going to change that or is it, will those RPG elements? Um, no, I mean, at I the end know. of the day, if you don't enjoy shooters, I don't think you're going to enjoy the division so much. It still is a shooter. Every single place you go, except for your base of operations, you have a weapon in your hand ready to go. So I think if if shooters aren't kind of up your alley, then it isn't probably going to be the game for you. Okay. Um, It's worth watching a video on YouTube just to kind of see what gameplay is like. But I would say no. If shooters aren't up your alley, then the division is not something you're going to want to pick up. Cool. Um, And the reason you stopped playing Destiny for the last three months or so is – 
what, what's the reason there? Is it not a, a game you keep going? I would say. Okay. No, you know, that's the thing. Like, it was. It was a game that, uh, out of every game that I've really ever played, and I'm confident saying that, it is the game that I got the most longevity out of. I played for a year straight. Not daily, but um, I invested multiple, multiple hundreds of hours into that game and kept going back because there were reasons for me to. I could continue to level. I could continue to earn new gear. But my biggest frustration with it, I wouldn't consider myself an elite player by any means, but for the amount of time that I did put in and the amount of effort that I put into it, I was very frustrated that I would never be able to achieve the, I guess, the the top tier gear um, or weapons for that matter because I didn't have enough friends on uh, Xbox Live. The only way you could earn the highest level of gear is to do raids. And the only way to do raids is if you go in with your friends. They don't offer a matchmaking option. So the fact that I don't have enough people on my friends list that play, that's disappointing to me. I don't feel like I should be locked out of high-end gear because I don't have enough friends. That's like, it feels like third grade to me or kindergarten where you're not cool enough to be in the cool group. So uh, go sit on the bench type stuff. I don't know. That's not the best analogy, but... Uh, yeah, I was disappointed and frustrated with it and they've done nothing to remedy that. And I don't think they have plans to, so I don't think I'll be going, I'll be going back to that. That's strange because Xbox live was, um, I think was so touted because it was, you know, it was the first big, um, social space, um, on, on, you know, on a console Mm -hmm. and, um, that you would actually pay for and people would yeah. pay to play. And I'm still paying and, for it. I'm a yeah. nine year member. And it, there were a ton of people that, um, that were on it and, you know, PlayStation always kind of took a back seat because they didn't have that sort of community. And yeah. so it's interesting for, to hear you say that in, um, destiny or Xbox one right now, the Xbox live experience experience on Xbox one, um, isn't quite up to snuff, I guess, or at least in your experience. I'll pick it more on Destiny than I will on Microsoft. The Xbox Live functionality, it allows me to, I, I don't have no, I guess not even to get into that. I don't have any issue with Xbox Live functionality. It is more the game. Uh, the company does not want to offer matchmaking in certain types of game scenarios because they want to encourage you to um, meet people through the matchmaking, become friends with them, and then leverage those relationships and move them into uh, the raids and the higher level uh, gear grinds, I guess. But that's not something that I've really had interest in. I have my friends list. I typically play with those guys. But again, the fact that I don't have five other people on that list that want to play um, bars me from that is disappointing. You know, they've they've come out and said, because this is the thing, there have been fans uh, since almost day one that because the Destiny does not offer matchmaking in these higher Uh, levels that they've created websites one's called lfg looking for group where people can go put their name and all their information on there hey i'm looking for a group to do this raid right now i'm a level 30 this is my gear set anybody want to go and that's how you would meet people to go do a raid it's like your fan having to create a tool because you refuse to I don't know. That seems ludicrous to me. It's not fan service at that point. Yeah, it seems weird being that uh, or seeing that, um, you know, like World of Warcraft. I'm not going to say that they were the first to the table or, you know, the first to do that sort of uh, raid experience. But um, it's not a new thing. And, you know, the ability to just walk in and 
and uh, do a raid with whoever I think mm-hmm. is it's not a novel idea like no. that should have been a standard but again I'm not a destiny player I don't know the whole experience and if that you know how that would impact things yeah well I'm not either anymore so Boom. if they uh, make any changes or do anything that makes me want to come back I'll talk about it again cool yep the division the division um i just finished well reluctant to say that i finished the witness but i cheated my way through the second <laughs> half of the game did you pull up some guides yeah so yeah. I, I i got to um 215 puzzles and i think there's there's probably you know about 500 puzzles in the game yeah um 215 puzzles and i just had enough um, I, I wanted to see more of what the game had to offer. I wanted to, you know, actually see how ludicrous these the puzzles in the game got. Um, and I just didn't feel like I was making any headway and my brain space couldn't take it anymore. I had set the game yeah. down for, you know, a week and in, or two weeks time. Uh, and I had finished um, Firewatch uh, during okay. that time. I picked up Pokemon, started playing that. I read a book yep. by um, Tom Bissell called Extra Lives about uh about video games in general and their importance um yeah uh as a medium um and so then trying to go back to the game i just kind of i was tapped out and i just at this point i wanted to know you know what was going on what was what was at the heart of the game yeah and so yeah i just used um, some strategy guides i you know popped online and looked at screenshots of the puzzles how to solve them you know where mm-hmm. to go next all this sort of stuff and uh it was I have no regrets. I think it was, um, I think after understanding as much of the the language of the puzzles as I did at the time, you know, I'd gone through that 215, um, those 215 puzzles and it, uh, it was enough for me to understand what was going on or how complex the game gets later. And, uh, what was interesting was towards the very end of the game, they, uh, they thwart users who are, um, using strategy guides, there's uh, there's a set of puzzles that randomly generate every thirty seconds or so. So there is no way for you to see a strategy guide for yeah. those puzzles, and um, there's no way for you to share the puzzles online and have a response back. You know that quickly that you could How solve interesting. it. So you have to you are forced to solve the penultimate puzzles in the game yourself and so if you hadn't if you had been using a strategy guide the entire time and didn't understand the language of the puzzles and the vocabulary that's used to you know to describe the logic that happens in those puzzles then you'd be totally screwed so understanding some of the puzzles or some of the logic in the game is essential and i'm so i'm glad i did i'm glad i went as far as i did um and i still had a little bit of a challenge at the end there which was kind of neat like they anticipated this they obviously anticipated this sort of thing um, but they had thought it through in a, in a way that made sense for that game. Like you think you understand all these puzzles and how they work, but we're going to throw this, this new thing at you where it's a randomly generating puzzle. Um, yeah. And it, and it randomly generates every so often until you solve it. Um, and I just thought that was super clever that they, that they went that far. And again, it's the, it's yeah. the penultimate puzzle. So it's the puzzle before the final puzzle or quote unquote final puzzle, I guess. Um, and then solve that. I went back to the strategy, gu- strategy guides, solve the final puzzles. Um, and then it, uh, I don't want to spoil anything on the podcast, but, um, it, 
there's more to it than when you think you've reached the end, you haven't reached the end. There's something else. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really the moral to that entire game is that very, the very, very last puzzle. Um, and I wouldn't have known about it. I wouldn't even have thought to go fetch it had I not looked at another strategy guide that said that there's, there's something else at the end. Um, and again, it's something that you would have only seen had you played through part or most of the game um, mm-hmm. itself. Just very cleverly laid out. Um, I'm, you know, so again, I, I'm not, I, I don't feel like I had spoiled anything by, you know, cheating my way through half the game. Um, I'm yeah. still able to appreciate everything that those designers did. It's a remarkable achievement. Um, I just didn't have the time and the patience to to keep going. There's too many other things to to play, to read, to watch, you know, um, that I just needed to get through and see what was going on there. Yep. Yeah. If I were younger and had way more time, yeah, sure. But that's not, that's not where I am today. So, no. um, so I finished the witness, um, well worth it. Super fun. I, you know, I, I would even venture to say that down the road, I might go back and just take a, take a shot at it because those puzzles, there's nothing that you're going to remember specifically um, no. And so it, I think the re, there's there is replayability in that game, uh, for I sure. I think so. Puzzle games for sure. You forget how to do them and how intricate some of them are. Um, definitely, there, there's replayability for sure. Yeah, and there's layers to it. Um, not in terms, well, maybe in terms of story, but there's a lot of little hidden things in, in the game that kind of make you think about stuff. So, yeah. um, and I did not get everything. I didn't, you know, what what do they say? Platinum it. I didn't. Yeah. 100% the game or anything like that. So there's plenty of stuff for me to still go find and do. Um, and I look forward to that. But yeah. Yeah. The witness. The witness. So uh, what's old that's new again? Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess coming back. Did or you ever back? Did you play it when it came out? I haven't actually. No. There are some Zelda games which I haven't played. I mostly played on handheld. I've not picked up a lot of them for. I guess console, but the ones that I have picked up, of course, I've really, really enjoyed. But Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess is not one of them. Had you played it before? I had. So this game originally was supposed to be released on GameCube, I believe, and got so close mm-hmm. to the Wii's launch that they decided to put push it to both consoles. Um and I had I was excited about Twilight Princess for the sake that it had more of a realistic art direction, and that was mm-hmm. something I had always wanted to see from um, from the Legend of Zelda, uh, namely because the game before that was Wind Waker, which was the you know overly not overly but it was uh, the highly stylized um, mm-hmm. uh, you know cell shaded style which cell shaded yep yeah which was cool. Um, I really, you know, I was, I had some pause about that game, but when I played it, I understood it and it was, you know, really, really cool. I think that's one of the the coolest art directions it's ever had. And in contrary, on the contrary, um, the one I had been excited about at Twilight Princess being so dark and, and, uh, had more of a realistic vibe to it, um, ended up just getting a little boring and dry to me. Uh, so when I played, I didn't, I never finished this game. I never finished Twilight Princess, maybe got through half of it and just kind of petered out. I don't remember. Yeah. I think I just put it down one day and just never had the urge to go back to play it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been seeing some of the screens and and hearing some of the reviews um, about this, the HD version of it. But there's nothing that's really enticing me to go back and play, um, unfortunately. I, I have a really mixed... Yeah. I have like a mixed relationship with um, 
with Zelda games. Um, yeah. It's kind of an either love it or hate it sort of experience for me. Yeah, I agree. And I think that they are, they're phenomenal games. I mean, in terms of puzzle, in terms of um, mechanics, just story even for that matter, they're all very well done. Um, but I agree. I haven't picked up every single one of them for one reason or another. They are incredibly challenging too. So um, I remember Ocarina of Time, I am stuck, well, I stopped rather, on the water dungeon, which is infamous, but uh, I haven't picked it back up yet. I have that one on handheld. I haven't gone back, but I do want to finish it. I hate when I get, you know, 75% of the way done and then it's just kind of sitting there in limbo. But with YouTube, I could always just go watch the last 25% if I really wanted to, to know what happened. Yeah, I, I think um, I did beat Ocarina of Time. I definitely used the strategy guide for the Water Temple. Um, oh, for sure. But beyond that, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I played through the entire game and uh, well worth your time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I enjoyed that game thoroughly all the way through. But, yeah, you know, I'd never heard Twilight Princess being a revelation, you know, in the, in the franchise or the series. And so there, there was nothing really pulling me back to it. Um, you know, we'll see maybe if there's a price yeah. drop, if it's on sale or something like that, I might pick it up and take it for a spin. But, you know, this is kind of like the, my story with the witnesses. I just don't have the time to play something that I'm not, you know, even if I'm very, very excited about a particular game, I don't have 20, 40, 60 hours to play through this game, this experience. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm struggling with, um, a link between worlds right now on mm-hmm. 3ds like it's a phenomenal game i love it i think it's great but i chip away at it every now and then i go through a, you know a dungeon and then i put it down for weeks at a time and then i pick it mm-hmm. back up i go find another dungeon and play that um, but it's not this consecutive experience and i feel like with twilight princess it, it maybe warrants a longer period of just sitting down playing through the entire game itself yeah nonetheless zelda very good game very good series for that matter uh, I think the one point I wanted to make just around, again, these remakes is they don't typically add a lot of content. They are just remastered to look better, which I'm fine with. I have no issue with that. Uh, and then they'll fix bugs every once in a while, too. But, um, yeah, if you haven't picked it up, probably worth a, a look at. Yeah, I know Wind Waker, um, they did some kind of round, you know, rounding out the edges and, and sort of the travel system and stuff. Fast travel, yeah. Yeah, and, um, and I want to say that there's some of that, uh, some touching up on the Twilight Princess as well. Some of those spots that were a little rough in the original release, they've kind of smoothed out, gone back and, yeah. and you know, tweaked a little bit. Yeah, but, because at that time, they didn't have uh, the ability to update your game. They didn't have the ability to give you a day one patch mm-mm. or a, a three-month patch or fix those little problems that may have occurred. That was kind of it. If you had that bug in your game, that was it. And it actually became a part of a lot of games, these little bugs, right? Yep. So that's, I, I don't know. I always think that, that was kind of cool that there was this little tiny mistake, uh, but that's not part of the game. And as long as it wasn't a game-breaking bug, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was kind of fun. There's one one thing with this game, the, the remake. Maybe it's in the original too. I, I don't remember. But when I was watching some of these reviews, I was watching the, the animation of Link running Mm-hmm. To me, it looks ridiculous. There's something weird with his arms where his shoulders yeah. don't move, but the bottom, you know, the, the forearms do. It's super awkward looking. Like, there yeah. are things, no matter how much you touch up the, you know, the visuals of the game, the animations that happen are, <laughs> they show their age for sure. They do. Absolutely. All right. So, uh, what's, what else is in the news? So, uh, 
right on time, Nintendo Direct, March 3rd. Uh, talked about a few different things. Star Fox Zero, a couple more SNES games, or really SNES games coming to the 3DS, which is pretty rad. And Paper Mario Color Splash, which is big for a lot of people. Uh, did you get a chance to watch it? Did you follow any of this news? What interests you? So um, I didn't watch it live. I went back and watched it a little bit later. Um, Nintendo has a really nice um, video player where you can kind of jump to the, the particular parts of the, the um, address that you that you care about. And these were the big yeah. three that I really cared about. Star Fox Zero, um, I mean, it looks like Star Fox. There's not much else to say there. It's um, yeah. it, I'm excited about it. It looks like a very pretty Star Fox. Yeah, um, I loved Star Fox 64. That was one of my favorite games growing up. Um, they, uh, they, I think we had talked about this um, a while ago, but there was this thing with Star Fox that, where when I was a kid, I didn't understand that there was there were these extra paths that you could take, mm-hmm. um, and all of a sudden I learned that if you listen to like what the other characters are saying as you're playing the game. Um, you know, if Pepe says something or Slippy says something and you follow their instruction, they will actually, um, you can actually find different routes in the levels and go a completely different direction. Um, so that was something I was excited about when I was a kid, all of a sudden discovering this other half of the game or even more than half of the game that I could play. And during the, uh, the Nintendo Direct about Star Fox Zero, they really drove that home. That there are these other paths, these branching paths that you can find. Um, so I'm glad that that's a part of this game again. And, you know, for, for folks younger than us playing through this, maybe if this is their first Star Fox experience, that they'll have that same experience that I did, that that they'll play through this and not really realize that there's a whole other layer to the game, um, and be able to explore more down the road. So again, the case where Nintendo's creating way more game than maybe even necessary is really, really cool. I enjoy that. It's kind of nice that I feel like you're getting your bang for your buck, though, right? I mean, you drop $29, $39, $49, dollars on a game, and there's more there that you can do or then you can do even. That's, I don't know. I'd almost want to, I'd buy that game almost just to have more than I possibly could do. Because anymore, uh, some games, well, not anymore. This has always been the case, I think. But some, boy, you walk away feeling that was a two-hour game. I don't know if that was, you know, worth the dollar amount that I put into it. But... Yeah, Star Fox. I when I bought my 3DS, that was one of the first games that I picked up. That along with Mario, uh, just brought me back to when I was seven again, mm-hmm. you know, and had those those games. So that's pretty rad. Star yeah, Fox Zero, and it's not just like bonus content that's tacked on. Like this is content that affects the story to some degree too. Like it's an yeah. alternate, you know, alternate paths that that change the ending. They they show you different, you know, different things. It's not just, you know, these extra little levels that you can play that really don't don't matter in the end um so that's it's kind of nice i'm excited for for star fox, star fox zero uh, yeah it looks gorgeous um and i think it, it's another kind of testament to the wii u and that it can actually perform you know against um i would say xbox 360 and, and ps3 yeah. i don't know about these other guys but um, do you do you follow amiibos at all do you like amiibos I own one Amiibo. I have the Mega Man Amiibo because, not because I care about Amiibo, but Mega Man's like one of my favorite characters of all time. He's still sitting in in his box in my office. Yeah. Um, Yeah. How about you? uh, I don't. I I don't own any Amiibos. The reason I bring it up is because they were interested in bringing in and 
the name is escaping me, but the the fighter, the jet itself, the Arwing from Star Fox, Arwing, Arwing right? yes, they were interested in that. They had talked about bringing out an amiibo Arwing that would actually transform, which would have been pretty rad. Well, it does. But it does trans. No, it transforms in the game. Yeah, but they wanted to bring out an amiibo Arwing that would transform as well oh. that you could actually transform, but they couldn't get it past uh, safety boards just because of the sharp edges. It wouldn't be safe for your little kids. So they, they didn't end up bringing it, but I thought that was pretty neat. That would have been one, uh, I think neat collector's item to have. Yeah. But they weren't able to make it happen. If you can find that, um, that story, put it, uh, put it in the show notes. I'd love to yeah. read that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, SNES games on 3ds. I, Hadn't actually watched the direct yet, but I popped open 3DS and I went into the store because I wanted to pick up yellow and boom, there are some SNES games. And I thought this is really, really cool. And they're not overtly expensive, which is really nice. So you could pick up multiple Mm -hmm. uh, and really, again, relive 15, 20 years ago, which is pretty rad. So I'm all about that concept. I like that, Uh, which again, conflicts with some of the things that I've said where I hate re-releases and I don't like how I feel like it's a money grab, but I don't know. Again, I think nostalgia is really what decides whether or not I think it's a money grab or not. If it's something that I that's why it is a money grab because of nostalgia, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but, but that's where I'm saying. If you re-release gears of war right now, I played that like seven years ago. I'm not really nostalgic yet. You know, it was good. And I'm still fine with that experience. Come to me in 20 years when we're on Xbox 7 or whatever it's going to be. Not even that, I guess. Probably just Xbox 2. Uh, and and you re-release it at that point. There's nostalgia. But I think that's what it is. If I remember playing it when I was 7, boy, here's my money. Just go ahead and take it. Just keep my credit card number on file type thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I, I'm having that experience with Pokemon right now. I didn't think I'd care about it, but... I find myself yeah. going back to it more and more and more now just because like yeah. I'm I'm remembering what was so addicting about it and so yeah. just novel about it. Um, Are you still playing yellow, by the way? Blue. I bought blue. Oh, uh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. I, I'm I tr- going to do yellow, I've decided. Yeah, I was on a um, – I was actually in Austin. Not that it matters, but I was in Austin um, for a couple days this week. And, uh, you know, on the flights – I always have I have pause like as I'm sitting next to all these other business folks and I yeah. whip out my 3ds. <laughs> there come, what the hell is this kid doing? Um, you reading Fortune? Well, let me show you what I have. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I you know kind of dipped in and out of it uh, on the flights and I love doing that sort of thing. And yeah, it's just like I remember why this that game is crazy addicting. Yeah, it's. Oh, for sure. It's not catch one Pokemon, you level them, and boom, get 149 more. It's the evolution thing for me. Like I want to oh, evolve yeah. them, and I, it's the efficient strategy of not catching a new one when it comes. If it's an evolved form of one I already own oh, or one sure. I've caught, like you have to evolve the ones you have to to fill up the Pokedex. Like that's the way yeah. I do it. Super oh, definitely. Efficient. I'm in the same boat, and then you end up with like 50 Pokemon because they each have about three evolutions, but. Uh, no, I, I, I agree with you that for me, I think is what got me into RPGs. It, it's just, I absolutely mm-hmm. loved the, evo- that's it. The evolutions watching the little short five second clip of when they evolve was magical. It was so rad. The first time and, that happened, like, yeah, so cool. Blew my mind. I had no idea that I, that was even possible in the game. Oh my gosh. I remember I stopped whenever we were, you know, I would be playing at all, at all times. We're watching TV, watching a movie, 
uh, eating dinner, whatever I'm playing it. And if we were watching TV, I remember yelling for them to mute the TV, my mom, my brother, so that I could hear the evolution sounds. I would turn the volume up all the way just so I could hear the evolution sounds. And it was so rad. I loved it. I thought it was such a great mechanic. And you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the one doing this. These are my, they're my team. It was really, really a great experience. I absolutely loved uh, playing that. So that's not necessarily SNES or bringing it to the, the 3DS there, but again, a little old memory. Yeah, right there. I, I have, um, going back to the SNES thing, um, I have a couple things that, I don't know, throw, I'm excited about it. I, I love the idea of that, you know, I feel like the mobile experience for me is becoming a bigger, bigger deal. Yeah. Um, like, being married, sharing a, sharing a single TV in the house, that sort of thing, like I don't get that chance to, you know, I end up hogging the TV if I'm playing games and I don't want to, I'd rather sit and watch a movie or a TV show with my wife. And, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, one of the nice things about the Wii U is that I could play these console experiences on a device outside while, while we, maybe we are watching a movie or a TV show, like I could still have that console experience, but it was really, you know, all, all intents and purposes, it was a, uh, a handheld or a mobile experience when I'm doing that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, buying the 3DS, same thing. It's, it's a mobile experience and I'm, I tend to get more out of that now. Um, so having the SNES games come to the 3DS is super nice um, and I, I understand why it's only on the new 3DS because I'm sure Nintendo just wants to push that unit as hard as possible. It's not like these are extremely complex games that couldn't work on the old 3DS by any means. You know, they would, yeah. I'm sure they, they would. There's no, no reason for them not to. But um, it's unfortunate that folks would have to upgrade or buy a new 3DS if they want to play these experiences on a mobile device. Um, the other thing that bums me out about this is as far as I've seen and... Um, or at least read, and this was through Polygon, is that the the games on 3DS uh, or the SNES games on 3DS don't have a cross-buy um, platform or even like a discount platform. So if you had previously bought these games for Wii or Wii U, there is no discount or um, you know free version on the 3DS. You have to re-up um, and buy the entire game again yeah. um, for the 3DS. Uh, save files yeah. don't transfer any of that sort of stuff, which is a, a big bummer. I bought, I recently bought Super Metroid. I had never played that game. Yeah. Um, I bought it on my Wii U. I'd played through it a little bit, but I've been wanting to play it on a mobile device just because I don't want to hog again. I don't want to hog the TV. Um, yeah. and if I end up doing it on my 3ds, when that game gets released, I've got to start from square one again, which is a, a big bummer. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, you see kind of unified platforms. I think, really starting to make their way into the industry. And I think that's pretty rad. I like the idea you could buy a game in one location and have it available to you in another location. Um, you could start in location A, pick up in location B. And I think that's great. And again, we've talked about respecting the gamer before. I think that is a huge way to respect the gamer. Uh, and maybe it's just more my generation, right? If you're seven, if you're a kid... You maybe don't have all these different areas that you're going to have the option to play them. You you may be fortunate enough that you did get a Wii U at home, which is great. Um, and you may not then be on the road and traveling like you and um, playing on the airplane. But man, for people like you and I, the older generation that do have the luxury of affording uh, and owning multiple different platforms, how great would it be, right, if mm -hmm. I could start on my Wii U? boom, okay, I've got to go now. I've got to hop on and catch my plane. And then boom, pick up 
uh, on my 3DS. That would be a rad experience. That's the dream, know? right? You know? Absolutely. And I think that alone, that would be my incentive to go buy a 3DS is that I could take my desktop experience, if you will, and turn it into a mobile experience. That for me would be a huge win. And I think that would be really, really great to see in the future. And who knows? I do think, again, that that kind of thing is making its way into the industry. I do think we're going to see more and more of that. For years, there was a rumor of a mobile Xbox, which obviously never came to light. But um, I don't know. I think that's a rad idea. I do love the idea of starting in location A, picking up in location B. Rumor of the uh, Nintendo NX, their next uh, yeah. console, is that it, it's, it may achieve that dream that, you know, one console, multiple places, sort of. I don't know how. I, I've been trying to comprehend, you know, what that would be like or even, you know, yeah. try to fathom how that would work um, to have a console and mobile experience, one and yeah. the same, um, and not totally break, not, break the bank and give you two consoles when you buy the thing. But yeah, who knows? We'll see. Nintendo's yeah, I don't the, the crazy toy maker, you know? They are, but I don't know if I have faith in them to be the one that, that innovates and uh, really disrupts the market. Yeah, but you they know? did it with they, Wii. But see, they didn't though, right? Because to this day, it doesn't matter. Nobody else is doing it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I you think know, I Xbox leave it. Xbox 360 never picked it up and said, okay, that's a disruptor enough so that we have to do it, right? Yeah. PlayStation never did. They never, went into Connect, picked. which was sort of motion control. I don't even control. want to start it on Connect. Connect is a joke. Connect shouldn't exist because they don't even believe in that product. But, but they, they tried. That's the thing. Well, that's the thing, right? They innovated in their own division, I guess. They innovated in their little avenue, and it it was innovative. I'm not saying it wasn't innovative. I'm just saying it wasn't disruptive because it didn't change yeah. uh, the rest of the market. And I don't know if I have faith in Nintendo to disrupt the market. I have faith in them to, to innovate, uh, but are there innovations – for this, I don't know. This is going to sound silly, maybe, but are they for the sake of innovating? They can't compete on a CPU level. They can't compete on a GPU level. Uh, so, well, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to create some sort of, you know, quote unquote, not necessarily a gimmick, but I'll call it that just for my argument to get people into this. And if you remember, Wii was huge, right? It was a monster. It was sold out Monday through Sunday uh, for months. You couldn't get it. So it, it was definitely something that worked, but I don't know. I don't know if I put my my money in Nintendo to be the ones to innovate and change and disrupt the market. Yeah, I, I don't I, see that. I think that's a good point. There's the difference between innovation and disruption. And mm-hmm. we, if we look at gaming right now, you know, motion controls have not they they had their place, and then you know it was gone. Yep. Um, you don't you don't talk about motion controls anymore, except for in the instance of VR, which is a whole different ball game that people are exploring. And yep. Um, and I think that's that's way too early to you know to even talk about right now in terms for of sure. disruption. But I do think that you know Nintendo's claim to fame truly is innovation. Like the the NES alone, I think was I- innovative in the sense that they had a, a great marketing strategy. They had this. Uh, you know, certification process for for games, ensuring that when you bought a game, it was going to be, you know, certified that it's a, a good game. And yep. you know, to, to combat the the crash that happened earlier, the video game crash um, prior to that, uh, which is before my time, but I've read enough about it to understand that um, the SNES was more of a, a power, you know, 
that was the kind of the, the power horse, um, yep. you know, move. Let's just make something a little more powerful. Then you had, um, God, did they went straight to the N64, didn't they? Yeah. In terms of a console, I mean, they had Virtual Boy that. and all that sort of stuff and Game Boys, but Nintendo 64 was the first real platform to get, um, you know, the hardware was fine, and I think people would have naturally grasped the hardware, but gameplay-wise, they were the first to really understand the 3D space and come out with games like Super Mario 64 and, and you know, Ocarina of Time and mm-hmm. teach people what it means to play a video game in a 3D space. Um, and then the GameCube, which was, in my opinion, that was kind of the, that was a weird move. That was another power, sh- you know, let's mix this thing, but make it a bit more powerful. That was um, them trying to get into the disc space, I think. Yeah, they totally. To compete with PlayStation and Xbox, and they needed to throw a disc in there. And so, boom, here's the GameCube. And people love the GameCube. I mean, there are people that absolutely would defend GameCube as, you know, one of the best consoles that Nintendo has ever put out. I never owned it. It never did anything for me. But... Um, I, I, I think, you know, to your point, I don't know. I, I would I would say they don't innovate. Well, they, they innovate but don't disrupt in terms of hardware. I think in terms of software, they innovate and disrupt, which, uh, to your point, 3D Worlds, I think, is a huge one, you mm-hmm. know. Um, um, so it, it, then going back, you know, the, there's then there was the Wii, which obviously innovated in, in the space of uh, motion controls, and everybody thought that was the future. And for a while there, it felt like that was the disruption point. You know, yep. Xbox followed with Kinect trying to get their own kind of motion control thing. And yep. and uh, PlayStation came out or Sony came out with the move, which flopped. Um, and and that was kind of the end of the motion control um, space. And then yep. while PlayStation and Xbox went to create their bigger, better hardware, Nintendo decided to take another route and try something new with the Wii U again. So this innovative, yep. this in, in, it is an innovative platform. I love the experience of it. I think it's, I think it was poorly marketed. I think that was the mm-hmm. biggest downside with that console. And it was a little. It's I mean, late, the name late, itself is confusing for users. I think it's right, awful. and you know, consumers. It's like, well, I don't know. What do I do with that Wii U? Is it an expansion? Is it a little bit oh better? God. Is it a completely different system? And as a as a customer who's about to give you three to four hundred dollars, I don't want to have those questions in my mind, right? I want to know this is a brand new system. I want to know this is brand new hardware. I want to know this is a brand new experience that I'm about to experience. And those kinds of questions are going to kill you. Man, and they well, did. They killed them. One Christmas, I watched my aunt gift my little cousin a Wii U game. Mm-hmm. He opens it up and freaks out. He didn't have a Wii U. He had a Wii. She had no idea. She didn't, she didn't, you know, if you're not in the space, you're not going to know. And it's no fault. I don't put the fault on her. I put the fault on Nintendo no. because that marketing was just awful. Um, needless to say, he had a big fit. It was, she was bummed out. It was terrible. So you but, could say Nintendo ruins Christmas for a lot of kids. Yeah, I'm Nintendo. sure it did. And I, I was yeah. there to, to witness at least one of those kids. Um, yeah. So anyways, I, with the NX, I, I think it, they understand and we have to remember that nintendo still has a ton of cash in the bank yeah from the wii they have yep. room to innovate still um you know their shareholders are probably are pushing them in one direction they obviously want them to compete in the space and nintendo has their own priorities with innovation um but they and I think what we're going to see with the NX is something in between. It's going to be an innovative platform, but I think they do understand that they need to compete in that power, you know, the, the power play experience, which is what Xbox One and, and PS4 are doing, where they have these insanely powerful consoles, They're getting tons of third parties on board, and um, 
you know, it, Nintendo is going to be at a crossroads with what they internally want to do and what the shareholders want them to to do and what their board wants yeah. them to do. You know, it's yeah. they're they're not. I don't think they're keen on third parties. They love their own experiences, um, but they've got to branch out a little bit more. If they can't come up with a you know a killer console um, on their own terms with their own first party content yeah. then they they have to expand a little bit so i'm i don't know i'm super curious about the nx i think it's interesting and again uh this all stems from that that dream of having the same experience in multiple places whether it's on your tv or on a handheld device yeah um the last big thing at least for me from the nintendo direct was the uh, paper mario color splash and it's not a huge um huge deal but i do enjoy the paper mario franchise i always have yeah um, when they they started rolling those out on Nintendo uh, Nintendo sixty four, I had missed the NES the Super NES cycle and never got really got a fair chance to play um, uh, Super Mario RPG, uh, which everybody you know that played it loved, um, and Paper Mario is really the closest thing to um, to that experience. Um, looking at the trailer for Paper Mario Color Splash, it's sort of a combination of uh, Super Mario Sunshine, where you're affected, affecting the environment, kind of bringing the environment back to life. You have this hammer that put, you know, splashes paint on on things in the world that have lost their color, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool. Um, so rebuilding the environment. And then it also has, it looks like Tearaway, which was a, a PlayStation or a, I think a, a Vita game first. And they just they just had a... Uh, um, a uh, sequel or something of that nature on uh, the ps4 but uh gorgeous looking game um paper, paper mario color splash yeah and i think you know that's what they do really well is they their argument they go for the 2d they do a little bit of platforming and you don't need the most powerful hardware to be able to pull that off and it still looks really phenomenal right mm-hmm. uh and that's what nintendo does too really really well and they make those games so very well and they're so good um but again, when you don't open up the third party, like, what do you expect? I mean, there is longevity. I don't know. And that's what I think their argument is. There is longevity to it. Nintendo's been around for a long time, and they plan to be around for a lot longer as well. But you need third party titles, and they can be really incredible, and they can really drive your platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm interested to see, again, that NX, you know, what that rumor is and what that ends up being. If anything, uh, the rumor is by holiday. So that would be interesting to see. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about kind of along Nintendo Direct is leaks. Nintendo has been leaking uh, like a boat with 100 holes in it. And that's kind of interesting, too, because a lot of these things were not necessarily I won't use the word announced because they didn't announce it. But a lot of these things were leaked uh, beforehand. So uh, do you think leaks hurt the company do they help the company do they not matter at all uh, i'm bringing this up this is based off of a kotaku article uh nintendo is leaking like crazy by jason schreer he wrote about this and there are a lot of there's a lot of substance to it there's a lot of um, interesting things that go into what leaks are but what are your thoughts on them do you think they matter i think they would matter in in the event Nintendo was, um, you know, the, the top player right now, I think a leak from Sony, um, or even Microsoft would mean a lot more. I don't think leaks from Nintendo at this point are, are critical to their business. I think it's all, but, um, 
it's all that they can do at this time. You know, they, they want, I think they need to generate excitement about their product. And if that means that they, you know, if something comes out of the woodwork and is then confirmed it during a Nintendo Direct, then that's, I think it almost plays to their favor. I don't think there's anything that Nintendo is, that's going to leak out of Nintendo that is going to break their business. Um, I think if anything, it's just going to build um, excitement about the products that are coming. Um, I don't what are think your thoughts on controlled leaks versus non-controlled leaks? Because arguably these are non-controlled leaks. Mm. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know what my opinion there is. Um, I obviously like the secretive nature of, of things, but it's in this day and age, it's just becoming harder and harder to do. I think where Nintendo is smart is that they have these Nintendo directs um, yep. often. So they control their message that and way. They can uh, more than the other guys are doing right now, where it's yep. waiting until large conferences and doing it, you know, on the time at the time of those conferences. When Nintendo Direct came out, it was sort of this weird thing that Nintendo was just going to do their own announcements. And um, yep. now it's becoming an event. If there is one, you know, if a Nintendo Direct is announced, it's a big deal. And it's fun to watch. You're getting these these updates and on a regular, almost quarterly basis, sometimes even more than that. Um and it's exciting. It's exciting to see the, you know, if those items are leaked, we actually get to see um, product shortly after. And it's not just speculation and blowing it out of proportion. But again, I don't think Nintendo's in a position where these leaks are going to hurt them at all. Yeah. If they were, you know, at the top of the food chain and there's only one way to go, which is down, then that's scary. That's dangerous. But they're not yeah. in that position. And I don't think a leak means much um, for them. No, I, I think I agree with you on that one. I think when we're talking a leak about a competitive advantage, that is going to be problematic for them. If the, the reason I bring this up is because if they are in fact talking about this new console, right? Well, they're not talking about it, but it's rumored right now. If they can't control, you know, a game leak, that maybe isn't such a big deal, right? Ever there, you know, who cares if another Mario game is going to come out? Mar Microsoft isn't going to lose their mind or really have to scramble to do anything about that. But boy, oh boy, if they can't control a game leak, what does that mean if they can't control hardware leaks? Because that is a competitive advantage and that mm -hmm. could potentially damage the company, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where I'm thinking about it is game leak, maybe not so big a deal. You're right. It doesn't hurt them. They're not top of the heap. It doesn't matter if they leak a new metroid a new mario a new whatever not a big deal but i think for me the idea is they can't control these leaks they're not the one controlling that messaging which is why we're talking about their directs that's how they're controlling their messaging they're losing that control and a game not so big a deal potential console release which arguably might get them back in the market or competing heavily with Microsoft and Sony, that is a big deal. I right? agree. That might then, that leak comes out, boom, here comes Microsoft releasing their updated Xbox One a little bit faster. Here comes Sony releasing their updated PS4 just a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem. So that's where I think the leaks are kind of interesting is, uh, I guess, to your point, what they impact. In a game, not a big deal. Hardware, huge deal. Yeah. I agree with that. The hardware is so it is. Yeah, it, you're right. It's scary going into this, um, you know, rumored hardware announcement um, later this year. And yeah. I hope they can keep that close to the chest because I want that allure. I want that. Yeah, that I excitement. Want to be yeah. I agree. Nothing more exciting than 
than, you know, a surprise announcement or, you know, a completely new piece of hardware or software, whatever it happens to be. Yep. Um, The last bit of uh, news that I have, and this is just kind of a fun tidbit for me, um, Polygon had this piece about um, Out of the Park Baseball 17, a a series I had never played before. It's sort of a baseball management game um, where, again, I I don't know much about the series, but you're just managing stats basically and and controlling your team that way. And they're going to be the... the, um, That franchise just got an exclusive license to the uh, 157-plus... Uh, 157,000 minor league players from 1919 to today. And um, my grandpa actually played in the minor leagues. Um, Really? So he is going to be in a game um, and officially part of uh, the video game industry before before I am. My late grandpa. Yeah. Oh, God. That is pretty rad. So is that a definite buy now? Well, I don't know. I, I I don't know what you know the pricing model is. I don't know anything about this game. I enjoy watching baseball. I'm not, yeah. you know, I don't, I can't dig too much into the stats and managing it and whatnot. I played baseball for a long time, and um, it's it's more fun to go out and, and throw a ball than to to play a sports game on my console. I think, or even yeah. manage a spreadsheet on my console or <laughs> wherever this game is played. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to get really, really good at Excel on your Xbox? Monitor? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, right? But these games, and there's there's another game um, similar to it. I think it's uh, like Football Manager or something of that nature. Yep. Uh, again, not a game that I've played, but from what I understand, it has a huge, huge following. Like, it's a, a really big deal. Yep. And so um, to get all these minor league players from, you know, 1919 all the way through today is a big, big deal. And I would love to see my grandpa show up in this stat chart, like, and, uh, you know, play through his career or whatever it happened to be. I think that'd be rad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that was a kind of a cool bit. My grandpa is going to be in a video game. Yep. Pretty nifty, I think. I think uh, regardless of the price, even if it's a few hundred dollars, uh, buy it. A few hundred dollars, <laughs> just do it. Um, good old days. So do you listen to the Retronauts podcast? I do not. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So these guys um, do what we do, but they do it way, way better. Um, and they've been doing it for some time. I think they're in their fourth or fifth season right now. It's crowdfunded podcast. And they just explore old games. And they go into the history of it, the people who made the games, um, you know, everything about that old, old title, whatever it happened to be. And the latest episode that they have is about um, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and exploring what that game meant for um you know gamers at the time for kids at the time um for the industry at the time yeah and i think it's it's a fascinating game one of the things that they um talk about is the idea that this was you know when it came out it was the biggest world one of the biggest worlds that you could see on a console like mm-hmm. it, it, the the idea of an open world game didn't really exist at the time they had made this thing that you know, today it doesn't seem very big when you actually play through it, but when yep. you're looking at the Hyrule, you know, Hyrule field, it's this massive. Um, the first time you saw that was this massive uh, landscape that you could explore, and then you could go to all these different places all throughout Hyrule. 
Um, and that was a, a really big deal at the time. Um, and then there was also this idea that seemed to escape us when we played. This game had been marketed uh, for a very long time. It actually got delayed. The release got delayed an entire year. It was supposed to come out the year before it was actually released. I think 97, it was supposed to be released, holiday 97. It ended up coming out holiday uh, 98, or something like that. Um, and uh, there, there was in all the marketing materials throughout that entire year, they had talked about this idea that there was an adult link and a young link, but I remember playing it. I I do remember reading that. Um, there was this change, but when I was playing it, I think I got so immersed in playing as the young link that I had forgotten that there was an adult link to this game too. So I was playing and playing and playing. I beat the three dungeons. This was great. Um, and at the time being so young, it did take me a while to get through those those um those dungeons and yep. then when i did and all of a sudden link turned into an adult i was it blew my mind it was that same you know the same idea as watching a pokemon evolve for the first time like yeah oh my god there's so much more to this game than what i think you know what i think there is and this was my first zelda game truly yep. first zelda game playing all the way through um i i didn't own the you know and the super nintendo so i never never was able to play link to the past um, never owned an NES, never played the original Zelda or any of that. So f- as my first Zelda experience, this was uh, quite a game changer and really defined my um, taste for the franchise. Yeah, I mean, to that experience, right? I think we talked about this a little bit before. You play what was hours worth of game as young Link, and then you transform into this adult. And it's almost like... That was the epilogue. That was the taste, like, to get you kind of hooked on the game. And it felt like a whole game, especially when you're younger, right? You're like, okay, well, that was so much that I just did all these dungeons. I did all these different things. The game is done, and I feel really good about it. Oh, no, wait, the game is just starting, and holy smokes, look at this. So I think that was really pretty incredible, and I I love that. I love these different little moments that a video game can create for for the user, right? For the gamer. That's such a cool thing. And I think that Zelda's done such a really good job with that over time. They've created such memorable uh, characters in their games and memorable moments. I mean, the first time I got my shield, right? The Mm -hmm. first time I got my sword, the first time I even opened up a chest, everybody knows that sound, right? Mm -hmm. And how cool is that? And I think that that's what they've done so well. And what Zelda has done is is created those kinds of moments for the gamer. And I love that because when I'm playing Zelda, I feel like somebody that created that, they're they're so excited about it. Uh, and they're thinking of all these little things that are going to create a wow experience for their for their end user. And I think that's awesome. You said you're playing um, Ocarina of Time right now or, or you'd bought it? I bought, oh my gosh. I So I bought my 3DS. It must have been three years ago now, I think. And that's, I think I bought it because Ocarina of Time had come out. And I was like, okay, I've never played this. I'm going to do it. It's a, it's a, like a reason to buy this platform. Uh, so I got through a lot of it. Oh my gosh. I was heavily into it. And then for some reason, I got to the water dungeon and stopped. Uh, I'm, I want to finish it. But, you know, even on 3DS, it was a really great experience. Go back and play it. Keep playing yeah. it. It's yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you're, so, you're right? making me want to go back and play it. Yeah. 
Because these, again, to your point, this open world, I'm, I'm starting to think about, that's what I think we love about video games, right? We get to experience this different world and they're only getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Pokemon was, if you look at the map, it's not a huge world, but it's big, right? And it's fun to play through that. Legend of Zelda, oh my gosh, you look at that on the map and it's bigger and it's a fun world to explore. Now you look at games like uh, Grand Theft Auto and Far Cry, there are people, you can watch these videos on YouTube too, that will actually try to walk from one end of the map to the other, right? And it is taking them in game, like in real world time, a half an hour, if not an hour in some instances, to walk across this map. So that's what these developers are doing. They're creating these incredible worlds, these real life, huge worlds for us to experience. And I think that's that's pretty rad. Um, that I get to be a part of that. But what Zelda does really well, again, is they don't only create this world, they create a really memorable experience or experiences within these worlds that make me want to go back, that make me after these years where I haven't touched it, go, okay, I need to I need to finish it again. I need to get back in and finish it. Yeah, I think it's, it's not only the world too. Be, I get, sometimes when it's open world, I get a little overwhelmed. Um, there's a for lot to do. Skyrim, I played for maybe three or four hours and dropped it. I was so done. I, I couldn't, I just couldn't, I didn't have the time. I did like that game a lot. I know. I really wish I got into it more. But yeah. uh, anyways, in Grand Theft Auto, same thing. Like I just get so burnt out of the the massive world and yep. having no direction. And I think with Ocarina of Time, it wasn't super massive, um, but it did give you some direction too. You, you sort of knew where you needed to go next. There wasn't a ton of side quests or missions. There were a couple when you spoke with... Yeah, it was more linear for sure. Yeah, and I, I like that. It, you know, it seemed like it had this large scope, but there was a linear element to it. Like you had to follow, you had to follow a, a certain path. And I think that was nice because it, it directed you in this large area. Yep. Um, and then... Um, I think the other part of it too is is just the characters and art direction and music. You know, it had the whole um, it was the whole enchilada. You know, it had everything. That soundtrack I still go back to today, and I mm-hmm. I just listen. You know, I'll listen to it start to finish multiple times. Um, it's a fantastic soundtrack. The whole game is built around music and and you know the ocarina. Um, so it's and I think they nailed that that part of it that you know, what it was supposed to be about, it was about, and it did it very, very, very well. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, in terms of innovation, again, just kind of looping it back to that, that's where they do innovate is in game, uh, in the software for sure. And the Ocarina itself, what a cool tool that was to travel, to uh, make different things happen in the game, right? No, I mean, where would that idea even come from? I mean, I could spend a whole hour probably just even talking about, that, but where does that idea come from? That this little musical instrument controls the world, right? Mm-hmm. From his bag. How cool is that? Um, that was a that was a really cool mechanic, and that all these different songs that you had to learn and be taught from different characters in the game to accomplish different goals. Holy smoke, that's a really cool idea, and that that again, I think is where Nintendo does innovate, and where when you're talking about first party versus third party. Boy, oh boy, that's a really cool experience that they provided for you. Mm-hmm. So I go, agree. I love it. Go listen to that podcast episode from the Restaurants. They do. They also have a one on Super Mario sixty four that I really enjoyed. You'll learn a, a ton of like just the challenges Nintendo had building these games and yeah. and you know what it actually means to innovate. What they did to actually innovate. It's yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. 
Thanks for joining us this week. Be sure to visit portedpodcast.com where you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook pages, as well as a link to iTunes where you can leave us a review. As always, don't hesitate to reach out. Tell us about your gaming memories. Until next time, I'm Kyle Starr. I'm Scott Taylor.